never set Swarm Farm up just to deliver robots locally. We set Swarm Farm up to take new farming systems to the world. Australia's the perfect playground to get it right. You know, we've got really early adoptive, you know, customers and, 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 and an attitude of adoption here in Australia with farmers. We're commercial. They stand on their feet through flood, drought and, and, and you know, and pouring rain. Vocag by AgriFutures is an event unlike any other. For the first time in Australia, an event brought together the entire ecosystem. And when you bring all these people together under one roof, great things start happening. That was Evoke Ag, held in Melbourne in 2019, and this is the best of Evoke Ag, the podcast series where I, Flair Anderson, and Sky Manson explore the themes, highlights, and big stories from AgriFuture Australia's signature event. The face of farming is changing and faster than we think. This episode is all about robotics in agriculture and we'll hear from Australian farmer come robotics entrepreneur Andrew Bate. We'll also hear from a local partnership gone global and we'll hear why farmers are an essential asset to the future of this sector. George Kellerman is CEO and general partner for Yamaha Motor Ventures and Laboratory in Silicon Valley and has led their ag focus for the last three years. He's also very involved in breathing life into startups looking to go global. And he now works in partnership with a project overseen by Steve Saunders from Robotics Plus in New Zealand. It's a great example of collaboration between the small guys and the big guys. I asked George Kellerman when agriculture came across their radar. When we first launched Yamaha Motor Ventures, agriculture was not on the horizon. We were focusing on autonomous vehicles, robotics, and industrial automation. We quickly learned that agriculture had a need for all three of those areas. So that launched us on an exploration to see if there were real opportunities for Yamaha to participate in that. And uh, through a fortuitous meeting, I met with Steve, and then that uh, led to us eventually investing in and partnering with Robotics Plus. And what did you see when you met Steve? How did that sort of tick the boxes? Uh, what, what was sort of attractive about that venture? Uh, well, there were several things that were very attractive to us. Uh, one was that Steve is just such a handsome, striking guy, <laughs> former rugby player. Just he's the quintessential Kiwi. Um, but more importantly, uh, he's a grower. He's been a grower for 35 years. Uh, he understands the entire horticulture value chain. Uh, we run into a lot of startups that uh, they have really good technology, but they don't they don't come from agriculture. They don't really understand the the real problem, and so sometimes they're creating problems by trying to solve one. Uh, whereas Steve can turn to his team and say, "I would never pay for that," or "I you need to design it this way for me." Uh, so he brought a lot of that insight to us. Um, the second most important thing is that he was in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, if you really want to uh, accelerate the R&D in this type of uh, robotics, uh, you have to have a presence in both hemispheres because you sometimes only have a few months to test your technology and then you want to pick up in the counter season uh, down in the other hemisphere. Uh, so both of those were very attractive. And then uh, I think the most important, we had a shared vision of the future. Uh, without that, the rest wouldn't have really made any sense. We, we really saw that, that there was a need for this and it was something that, that uh, we together and collaboratively could solve. That was George Kellerman from Yamaha, who was at Avocag spruiking the benefits of collaboration with his new venture partner, Steve Saunders from Robotics Plus in New Zealand. They teamed up in 2018 when George came across Robotics Plus and the 
technology they were developing, a robotic apple packer. Steve says something. sometimes investment is the easy part. It's building trust in a partnership that can be the tricky bit. It was about trust and relationships that make it work um, and having that alignment. So, you know, our journey started by meeting George a couple of years actually before the, we made the investment and that was a, about being at Alistair and I were in the US on a trip and just end up sitting by George on a bus and having a chat and he was, you know, they were telling us what they were doing and what they're looking at, um, you know, and had a few follow-up um, conversations after that. But a friend of mine also said, if you want to be part of this ecosystem, if you want to, uh, you know, build those relationships in the US and, and, and those opportunities, you need to be part of the ecosystem. So, you know, we just started coming up to all the ag tech conferences, so we kept bumping into George. And so as they were working through their strategy and became clearer, um, you know, George was able to share that. And that was sort of 18 months to um, um, after the first time we'd met. And it was at that point we said, oh, wow, that's a great strategy. Have a look at what we're doing. Um, and then, you know, we just keep building. So if you really think about growing, growing is about relationships and trust. It's been, it's a generational thing that's been around a long time. Growers, you know, uh, been a grower for 35 years. Um, it is for us about trust and it is about the long term. We're about long term, we're about land, we're about growing. It's not, a, it's not necessarily a short term thing. So finding those true partnerships and relationships that you, you know you can connect with is really really important and for me um, I thought you know that the whole the whole the whole deal was was quite seamless as George said it might have taken two years to get to where we got to today but it was always great communication and we continued to work, work through the vision together um, Yamaha I think we've had 30 Yamaha executives in New Zealand, so you know, and some yeah. of them multiple times. Board members. And we've had board members, we've had the head of advanced R&D, we've had people coming and they've, they've taken that time to come and understand who we are and actually been able to see that actually we are doing some great stuff and they could see how they could help us, but also how we could help them. And I think that was uh, that was really where it um, where it made it. And so yeah, the, the challenge of a small agile company on the move wanting to really test this compared to uh, a a large corporate structure that have you know departments and segments is you know it is challenging but because the relationship's strong and the belief by both parties of where we're going we can navigate through those um, through those situations. But what if you don't have access to the big guys? Andrew Bate is a farmer and a robotics man, and Andrew also shares this sentiment about going from the factory to the farm. Through the establishment of Andrew's business, Swarm Farm Robotics, he probably knows more than anyone in Australia about the application of robotics in a true farming sense. Running his company from central Queensland, he says farmers shouldn't underestimate the demand for proper farming know-how and practicality. We never set Swarm Farm up just to deliver robots locally. We set Swarm Farm up to take new farming systems to the world. Um, Australia's the perfect playground to get it right. Um, you know, we've got really early adoptive you know, customers and, 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 and an attitude of adoption here in Australia with farmers. We, we're not subsidised. There's no European farm, US farm bill. There's no EU subsidies. Australian farmers are commercial. They stand on their feet through flood, drought and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and you know, and pouring rain. Um, and we have to be innovative uh, as a farming community. We don't survive. There is no subsidy. So it's, it's a great place to develop technology and release it because farmers are adoptive and, and will take it on. 
you know, add on top of that, we've got the most variable climate in the world, the, the dry, silent continent in the world. We've got some of the most ancient, you know, soils in the world, and um, and we're an export nation as well. That um, you know, we I guess it's a perfect kind of uh, brew for for early adoption and innovation. So um, it's been really good to develop our technology here in Australia. Um, and the next thing we're now doing is is working at that scale to the world now, so we can get our robots all over the world. That's a pretty exciting time. Absolutely. Do you agree with the the statement that there? Is- is lots of money being thrown at um, ag tech companies that are solving a paradigm? Um, I think there's some big headline, headline figures out there. Um, I think investment's still slow in Australia. We're, we're, we're getting there and, and things are getting more interesting. Um, I think, um, you know, investors need to understand agriculture too. That's that's still happening. Um, you know, investor has to be a good fit and, and, and the right partner for a successful thing because it goes both ways. So... I think um, I think it's more and more interesting things happening in Australia. I think it's starting to come online. In Andrew's experience, one of the great balancing acts is to be quick to market, but still have time for proper development of products. Andrew Bate is proud of the way that his team has played their cards. It's very much a balancing act of how can I deliver value to a farmer and get it to him as quick as I can, um, without releasing something half cocked or half half cooked. Um, and you know it's a challenge. It's a you know it's a decision point you have to make along the way. And and you know w- we did it by by you know um, early stage we we contracted our robots on a contracting service. So our staff would run the robots. So if there was problems, it wasn't a pain for the farmer. Our guys had the headaches. Um, and we weren't prepared to sell robots to farmers until this year, um, when our software was good and reliable enough that we could actually take it to market and hand the keys over. And that hand the key over moment was a big one. For our team. I mean, you know, when we left the farm and the robot, ha- the farmer had his robot, and we we'd left. It was a, a big achievement for our guys, and um, so that's how we balanced it. You know, a, a mixture of getting some early adopters and some income early on to keep us, you know, keep us afloat uh, while we finish the development of our technology. Andrew Bates says one of the biggest challenges for him is the fact that sometimes companies can get too stuck in the lab and be a bit scared to road test their products in case they break. I think making it real. Um, you know, I think you know, when we started off, everyone said you can't run an ag tech out here in rural Queensland. You need to be in a capital city like Sydney or Canberra or Melbourne. And uh, we've kind of busted that myth because we've been really successful at what we've done. We've, um, you know, we're one of the first companies in the world to offer ag robotics and actually deliver them for, and you know deliver them as sold to farmers and um, you know a big part's been sure the technology we've developed all of our own technology in house we have all our own software engineers and developers but we also we actually go out in the field and break them and make them work and you know we've had robots that snapped in half we've had um, you know things that have fallen off broken with scratches and dings we've had um, you know I think we've got about 10,000 hours on our robots now and that's that's not insignificant and it's been out in the paddock making them work that's been the challenge. It's easy to make a robot and show a video of the driving for 10 metres, but you make a robot work for 24 hours, seven days a week, for a paying customer, and that's a whole new prospect. And that's, I think, one of the strengths of what we've done. And I, I was just in um, listening to um, venture capitalists and investors, and they're saying in Australia especially, and especially with ag tech, you need to allow for the initial investment for the product development, but then also the follow-up time as well, which is usually about t- four years. Is that what you're seeing in your experience? I guess the bit that I see is, um, you know, there's no, re- there's no shortage of research here in Australia. 
You know, we, we talk about R&D in this country and everyone says R&D this and then we can commercialise it and then we need E for extension, the R, D, C and E. And um, the problem is everyone forgets about the D, development. You know, um, I guess, you know, I've been in projects where we've done R&D, which was really just research, and at the end we've got a USB stick and said, here you go, you can go and commercialise that. And no development was ever done. And, you know, that's what Swarm Farm's done in the last three years. Our company has done the development work to take the research all the way through the stage. We can deliver it to a paying customer. And, you know, so often we, we hear about we need more R&D in this country. Well, the research paves are stacked to the ceiling. You know, there's more research still being done now. And there's, no, and there's a need for research, don't get me wrong. But if we don't support development in our ecosystems, if we don't develop technology so it can, can be commercialised, nothing gets through. And, um, you know, I think we're starting to see changes in this. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we, we've got a great relationship with um, Horde Innovation and they're trying new models and, 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 and letting us lead uh, projects from a development point of view. And um, that's been fantastic. Um, and I see the same also with CRDC as well. I see you know, changing in, in, in attitudes and approaches to projects. And I think that's really good because, once again, if we don't support D development, um, technology doesn't get through to farmers. That issue of, of being too much research and not enough conversion is um, coming up time and time again here. How did you, like, what are your practical tips, I suppose, for managing the research piece in the IP and actually getting that out of, out of the hands of researchers and being of use to your product? Yeah, look, I think the egos can be sometimes a problem. It's a matter of beating the egos down. Not beating them down, but bringing them back to earth. Um, I think, um, you know... We- How do you do that? How did you do it? Just being real. I, I think. Um, how have we done it? I guess. I guess we've. You know. I guess you know what we're doing is is leading projects from a development point of view, and then we're subcontracting out the research to universities underneath that, rather than being projects uh, being given to universities and then them saying oh we've got to find a commercial partner in this and you and um, that's been quite successful for us so we're actually pulling the research through um, from the from the ground up I guess um, rather than having technology pushed upon us saying you should go and commercialize this now um, and I, I think that's that's a big part of it you know um, if, if we don't support the development companies, you know, the comp- companies doing development, the, you know, the startups, the early stage companies, technology just doesn't get through. And, and you know, um, it's, it's, it's getting these partnerships right. You know, I remember uh, when Barnaby Joyce, you know, released the R&D for profit scheme two or three years ago. To apply for that, you had to be either a university or a research organisation. You couldn't apply for it as a startup or an early stage technology company. And one of his things he said was this technology needs to benefit farms in three years' time. And I'm thinking, well... If we're doing research to write papers, there's no way it's going to hit the farm gate in three years' time. And so, you know, rethinking some of these things, and, you know, this comes from a government level and a policy level, um, you know, we need to think about how we support development in this country so things get commercialised here. Um, And I think that's critical. While Swarm Robotics is an encouraging example, there's still a long way to go before robotics is everyday practice in farming. Steve Saunders from Robotics Plus in New Zealand reminds us that this is a labour revolution of sorts and that robotics in Australia and the world over are still very much in the early stage of a development. We're in the early stages of robotic development globally for ag, so we don't have the full solution yet. So this is about the bigger idea of collaboration and partnership to actually achieve that. So yes, we've got some product to market now, but uh, and we're one of the first early stage companies, I guess, that have actually proven out 
been able to take product, develop it and get it to market, understand the value pain and hit the point that matters to growers. Um, but we're a long way to go to really bring automation um, in, into ag. So it is about having a really strong partnership relationship and someone that can see that future and willing to invest in that future and invest in, in us to, to, you know, as part of that future. So that's a really important thing that people got to understand, you know, um, agriculture, it is patient money because, you know, we're, we're going into this whole new, I guess, what would you call it, George? You know, a whole new cycle thing about agriculture. It's it's, it, it's, it is a revolutionary change because we've had labour, we've had all these things that have been easy. We've, we've had, the, you know, the God-given right to, you know, water and environment and all those things. But that, that game's changing and the labour's disappearing, environmental impacts are coming down, uh, global warming, uh, government's talking about carbon zero, uh, uh, tightening immigration laws. There's all these challenges coming left, right and centre and at the same time um, we've got an increasing population that's going to move to 10 billion people on a global scale that have to be fed. So, you know, this is about early stage belief in a vision and supporting one another to actually achieve it and I think that's the exciting thing about, about the partnership. Yamaha shares that same, that same vision and, you know, they're patient um, which makes a big difference. That's not to say the sector isn't recognised as a huge area for growth at least for Yamaha. Here's George Kellerman. For us, we don't have that kind of agricultural DNA within the company, and even that one product is a very small part of our total business. Uh, but interestingly, uh, in December, uh, just last, uh, well, two months ago, uh, we announced two different things. We announced our midterm plan, which is a three-year uh, uh, plan, and then our long-term vision, which is a 12-year vision between now and 2030. And for the first time ever, Yamaha announced, and this was publicly to our shareholders, it was publicly disclosed, that, that agricultural automation is going to be a growth driver of the future of the company. Um, and, 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 and that's a transition that only has occurred in the last three years where our management has seen the opportunity, realizes the impact. The other part of those announcements was that, that we're in this for social benefit. We want to solve social challenges. We're not just doing this to make money. Um, so you combine those two things together, and we've really got a mission uh, ahead. Um, so where does it go from here? I, I don't know, I, I, because as, as, as you know, we said earlier, was, this is a revolution. But interestingly, it's not a revolution because technology just came up. You, usually technology drives a, a change. This is survival for the industry. Without this technology, we won't be able to grow the food to feed the world in the future. Um, this is not a, a case of, of robots replacing humans. It's, it's a case of, of robotics and automation filling a gap that's growing daily because there just is not enough people to do this kind of work. Um, and so it's a socially driven revolution. It's not like it's being, uh, you know, like, we're, hey, there's a cool technology. Let's go chase that. That's what's really unique about what's happening right now. It's, it's, it's being driven by necessity. And that's probably something that's starting to bring that sort of attitude of maturity into this space, isn't it? Because it's not just about gimmicks and cool things. Yeah. This is actually solving a genuine problem. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think, uh, you know, the other thing is, is, you know, technology is getting cheaper. And ag is probably like the last frontier of, 
of where technology has been applied, you know, in terms of industrial revolution or all those changes. So, you know, the driverless cars, all that is, is enabling sensors and um, all those sorts of, you know, LiDAR detection systems and all those sorts of things to become more and more affordable. So it, it's at the first stage where you can suddenly start to see that we could build technology that is affordable and really does solve grower pain points with a good return. Um, so, you know, technology change is helping um, drive that opportunity along as well, which is, which is very exciting. And again, with Yamaha, for us to be able to access into the technology developments that they've spent years doing, they've got componentry and systems there or control systems that now can integrate into what we're doing, bring us high-quality industrial components that are more robust and actually really start to deliver systems that, that, that have meaning. So it's exciting times. Another company that's leveraging its global reach in product development has been Airbus Australia Limited, which is releasing a new satellite imagery product in Australia. Regional sales manager Jonah Williams says it's the Australian farmers' feedback that was a game changer for them. So I'm lucky that I work for an incredibly large multinational. We have teams in Australia, in France, across the globe. It's, uh, we're a European-based company, it's true, but actually a lot of the product development came out of, um, from a marketing point of view, from a uh, pricing, from a how do we actually see the value in this, came from feedback from Australia. Because I took this to the customers over the three or four months leading up to the final release and the official launch of this product and told people, hey, this is what we're doing. We're serving this as an API, we're serving this into your portal, we're trying to give you a baseline of accurate, consistent analytics does that work for you? And the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. And so we're actually, I think it's from the case of research and development in Australia, I think there isn't a big gap to bridge between locally grown and then turning into something. And there's probably a bigger part to play from, to be honest, from the government in putting forward some better opportunities and more funding and giving more value to our homegrown talent and also probably from the research organizations and loosening up some of the IP around keeping that close to their chest um, but when you can see there's so many Australian based companies which are which we like data farming when we partnered with they got the first sale worldwide for this and it's a massive thing because these are he Tim from Data Farming is a phenomenal guy. He really knows what he's doing in the precision ag space. But at the same time, that's a perfect example of an Australian-based company that is able to take that risk and just go, let's give it a go, and is trying to give the most value back to his customers, and he's doing really well. Jonah Williams also says that when it comes to on-farm application like satellite imagery, there are so many possibilities these days, meaning farmers are in the driving seat and they can pick and choose exactly what they want. The product development has been incredibly fast. And the technology is constantly changing and we're constantly squeezing more and more information. The amount of uh, data that we can pull out of 20 meter pixels now that was not even thought possible to get less than the 20 meter five years ago is incredible. And uh, at the moment it's a case of figuring out what data is most valuable to you as a grower, as a producer, as an agronomist, whatever works. And then moving forward from that is, are you getting enough of it? Are you not getting enough of it? Are you having too much? You know, what, what actually works? Because there's a plethora of data out there. It's just a matter of what's the best one that works for what you're trying to use it for and how to get hold of it. This has been another Cahoots Radio production for AgriFutures at the first Evoke Ag event in Melbourne. 
Evoke Ag 2020 will be held again at the Royal Exhibition Building in Melbourne on the 18th and 19th of February. Get that in your diary and for more information, evokeag.com.